You may be seated. And I'm going to read first from Isaiah 55 for our Old Testament reading. And then we'll go to the New Testament. So as the uh, beggars who are blind, the blind beggars call out to Christ. Here's the invitation of the Lord. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you, because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way, and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let Him return to the Lord, and He will have compassion on Him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bare and spout, sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so my word be which goes forth from my mouth it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it for you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of the thorn bush the cypress will come up and instead of the nettle the myrtle will come up and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. And then if you'll go to the Gospel of Mark, and after we read in Mark, we'll go over to Matthew and read the two accounts that both of these men gave of the same event. Okay, so Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't think he said it the way I read it. I think he was probably yelling pretty loud were sternly telling him to be quiet and to, he kept crying out all the more son of David have mercy on me <coughs> and Jesus stopped and said call him here and so they called the blind man saying to him take courage and stand up he's calling for you and throwing aside his cloak he jumped up and came to Jesus 
And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. And then we're going to go over to Matthew, the 20th chapter. And we'll keep our Bibles open to Matthew 20 for the preaching of the word. All right, so Matthew's account of this event. And as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us understanding into your truth. Lord, every Sunday we take a minute to pray about the preaching of your word that you would illumine our minds. And in a way, it's, in a way we, it's good that we do this. And in another way, it's almost like it takes away from the other parts of worship. What we really need is your illumination for everything in the world that goes on in our worship and for your blessing upon it and for you to be honored in it. And so we pray that. Lord, help me to be uh, actively preaching your word and help all of us to be actively engaged in hearing your word and in taking your word and applying it to our lives and giving you worship and adoration for the blessing that we have of your truth, your speaking to us and blessing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the sermon is Blind Men with Great Vision. Things are not always as they seem. You have blind men here mentioned in this text, but the way things are not always as they seem, they can see things beyond what the people there that day saw. And we might say, to make a pun, this event can be an eye-opener for us as well. But first, I want to deal with a couple of dif difficulties in this passage. I don't know if you noticed them or not. The difficulties in the text, I'm going to bring this up just in the interest of trying to be uh, open about uh, Scripture and how they might be answered. Because this is one of those texts of Scripture that people who attack the Bible might go to to say, see, it's not inspired. So the difficulties. The question is, is Christ coming into Jer Jericho or is he going away from Jericho? Did he heal one person or did he heal two people? The event is recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And the these are the writers of the gospel. And some of them may have used some of the same sources. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't do any damage to our, our understanding of inspiration. Some of them also may have been eyewitnesses. And they may have even known uh, Bartimaeus 
later on, he may have had a history with some of them. But some stress some of the things, some things, because of the purpose of what they're writing. But all of them we understand to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. For instance, Matthew gives two blind men. Mark and Luke only mention one, or if there is another one there, they don't mention his name, but they mention the name of Bartimaeus. In Matthew and Mark, you have Christ leaving Jericho. In Luke, you have Christ entering Jericho. So what is the answer to some of these? So the number of blind men, how, what have been some of the responses that uh, have been offered to explain this? Because Mark and Luke only mention one, doesn't mean that there couldn't have been another. Okay? It could be that Bartimaeus was the most prominent. He was the one who was outspoken. And he was the one who had a history later. In other words, it could be that Peter would talk to Mark, because Mark was not an eyewitness to all this, but he may speak to Mark, and Mark may have even known of Bartimaeus. We don't, we don't know all the details, but we do know that just because one person's name is mentioned could not mean that there wasn't another or that he wasn't the spokesperson for the two. Another thing that's interesting, another thing to, is to understand the, uh, the purpose of the writers of these uh, accounts. Matthew's concern is not to give all the details. If, if you look at Luke, Luke a lot of times is concerned about details. Matthew is not so concerned about details in his writing on the life of Christ. His main concern is to a Jewish audience. And, and one of his main concerns is to bring out the deal that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And he's, he wants to make this known. That's his emphasis. And so uh, that's what he does here in this passage, is to show that Jesus Christ is the Son of David and to show that these miracles of Christ authenticate Christ as the Messiah. So, the next question. Are they entering Jericho or leaving Jericho? Some think this is a little bit more difficult to answer. And some have used it to say that there were two healings, that maybe there was one when they, uh, at, at two different times. That's probably not the answer when you see that all three of these uh, uh, writers were, seemed to be speaking about one episode. So what do we know about Jericho, the city? We actually know that the Jericho in Christ's day was not the same Jericho as in Joshua's day. So the Jericho in Joshua's day maybe was up here. The Jericho in Christ's day was a little bit lower. And so what does the Bible tell us? It doesn't say that Christ's main purpose here was to visit Jericho. It says that Christ's main purpose was to was to go to Jerusalem. That was the point. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing through Jericho. And so in some people's mind, he could have been leaving one while he was entering the other. It's not too far-fetched given the fact that there were two places that would be associated with uh, Jericho. Some think that the event maybe was a longer period of time and, and it was over a period of time but and another explanation is that there was just a scribal error. That there was a scribal error in uh, just one word that made the, the leaving and the entering to be something that uh, was different. And so what we believe is, we believe that all the original writings of the Bible 
were divinely inspired. But we do know that there are certain words at times because of the dating of manuscripts that certain words got altered. Nothing ever got altered to, maintain, to change any doctrine or anything like that. And so you can look at all three of these accounts and you can see that there is no doctrinal problem in what happened. There was a miracle. Jesus performed it. He is the Son of God. Both men were blind. All these things, all these things are accurate and all these things are true. So even if there was a scribal error in one word here or there, it makes no difference. It makes no uh, it make it causes no problem in understanding the details of what happened here and what went on. Now, let me give us a little summary of the event itself, and then we'll get into uh, the outline and trying to make some application of what goes on here. And I will try to piece together the three accounts of what happened. Christ passes through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. There are two blind men, of which Bartimaeus is one, and they are beggars. This is how they earn their living, by begging. And they hear the crowd approaching, and the crowd is approaching because Christ is on his way to Jerusalem, and the crowd is passing by. They begin to repeatedly cry out for Christ to have mercy upon him, upon them. And no doubt their cries were many, and they used a variety of phrases, but the fact was they were making such a ruckus and such noise that those other people in the crowd wanted them to shut up, wanted them to be quiet. And they are sternly rebuked, and they are told to stop their cries. And so what do they do? They continue all the more. They keep crying out to Christ, and what does Christ do? Christ asks them to come to him. And they come to where he is. And then he asks them, what it is that you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And they say, we'd like our sight restored. And then he heals them. And in one of the accounts, he commends them for their faith. And for a while, at least, we know from the three accounts, they followed him. And they... Um, they were with the crowd. They joined the crowd to praise Christ. Now, what I want us to do is to learn from this passage of Scripture and make practical application for ourselves. And I want us to do something. I want to teach this passage by comparison, to compare the blind people to the crowd, to compare them to the apostles, to compare Christ to other leaders they knew associated with Jericho, and associated with this time. And I also want us to think in terms of how they prayed and what they did in their prayers so that we can receive uh, application for us in our prayers. Because I think that a lot of the questions you and I have at times when we pray, uh, you know, we wonder, okay, I, I've prayed about this a long time, or why didn't God do this? Those are things that are real to us. And this is a passage of Scripture that may not solve everything for us, but can help us understand things a little bit better. So the first point is that we see that the blind men saw better than those who were around them. They are blind and even before Christ heals them, 
even before Christ heals them, they have a sense of seeing that is better than the crowd and better than the theology. The first thing we see is that they had a better theology than the crowd. They were more correct in their knowledge of God than others in the crowd. In verse 31, they, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. Why did the crowd tell them to be quiet? Well, maybe they were obnoxious in the way they were calling out. Maybe it was unpleasant for them. Maybe they thought Christ has got more important things to do than to deal with you guys. Just sit there, shut up, keep begging, and, and quit being a problem. The other thing that they may have thought was that these guys, the beggars, were not worthy of Christ. They were not worthy of Christ. Why? Well, you're blind. How'd you get blind? It's because of sin that you've committed. You deserve to be blind. In other words, you're blind, you're sinful, you got no business being around Jesus. You're not, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to come into His presence. If you go back over... Go back over in chapter 19 of Matthew, and I'll show you how this worked out in the disciples. So in chapter 19, where Jesus is dealing with the rich young ruler and all that, verse 23, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. So they, Jesus says this about rich people, okay? What does everybody think today? Yeah, those rich people, they're terrible. They're awful. And so anybody that's got money, they don't belong to Jesus anyway. So you got all these idiots that are out here that think that that's what, that's what justifies what's going on here. But that's not, that's not the point here at all. The disciples are of a different, totally different mind. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. And they said, then who can be saved? What are the disciples thinking? Disciples are thinking, hey, if a guy has got money, then apparently God's happy with him because God wouldn't bless him with money if he didn't have the money. And so Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples are thinking, well, if you've blessed him with money and he's blessed by you, then who in the world can get in the kingdom of heaven? You see, it was the mentality, even of the disciples and probably the crowd, that the beggars were unworthy. They were unworthy. If it had been rich people who they thought, okay, God's blessed them, then therefore they would be welcomed into Christ's presence. Well, you and I both know that everyone is unworthy. Every, all of us are unworthy to come into the presence of Jesus. And it's not money or anything else like that. Christ is going to Jerusalem as a king. Why would he waste his time and energy on a couple of beggars? Couldn't their blindness be the direct result of their sin and punishment from God? So why would the king of God's people have anything to do with them? Why bother with such lowlifes? Now, the application that I think that we... But anyway, these men see Christ as the son of David. That's their theology. I said they had a better theology. And so you see what they say to Christ. 
Lord, uh, they say, Son of David, Lord, have mercy upon us, Son of David. Lord, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Here's their theology. Their theology is that they know that Jesus Christ can heal them. Their theology is they know that Jesus has performed miracles. This isn't the first time they've heard about Christ. They know why the crowd is excited. And so uh, they had no idea that morning when they got up and went out to their job to beg, they had no idea that Christ was passing by that day. But now that Christ was passing by, they knew exactly who he was. And this is what they did. They cried out to him for help because they recognized his power. They're like those guys that you, you and I see the movie of the person who is in a life raft and they're at sea and there's no hope. A plane goes by, a ship goes by. What do they do? They scream. A person who is, who is on a deserted island and they're shipwrecked and all of a sudden they're, they, they see a boat, they build a fire, they do whatever they can to get attention. And this is what these guys did. There was no shutting them up. They're going to yell to Christ. Christ is the answer to their needs. And so they're calling out to him as their salvation, as their help. They, they had a good theology. And the other thing that they teach us is that everyone is a candidate, as far as we should see, as those who we want to bring to see to come to Christ. Here was the crowd that wanted them to keep wanted to keep them away from Jesus. And the question you and I should ask ourselves, do we ever act like this crowd? Do we ever give up on people for whom we should not be giving up? Do we think of people who are in a sinful lifestyle and we know that the Bible condemns the sins that they live in and they are not repenting? Do we write them off? as unworthy of Christ, or do we still still see them as those people who need the gospel? What about people who are politically different from us and the totally different extreme from us? Do we look upon them as those who need Christ or do we look upon them and just judge them as unworthy of, of our time or our interest or our witness or anything else? We ought to not be throwing too many stones at the crowd because we ourselves should not be eliminating people as those who we would want to see come to Christ. As our congregation grows, as God brings new people within this congregation, people with different personalities, different histories, different backgrounds, different problems, and all this other kind of stuff, The need is not that they measure up to our definition of what a prim and proper Christian is, but the need is for us to love them where they are and receive them and welcome them. We want our theology of Christ to be consistent with our practice in how we we receive others. The second thing we know by comparison is that these blind men were more humble than the apostles. They were more humble than the apostles. If you look at verse 20 of chapter 20, this is where uh, the mother, the sons of, Je- of Zebedee come and they want, uh, she wants a special favor for her two boys. And then the other disciples, they get all 
been out of shape and all that. And then Jesus has to teach, if you really want to be great, then don't be trying to lord it over other people. So what do we see about the apostles here? We see that these beggars have a more humble heart than they do. The beggars don't come to Christ saying, we are worthy. We are worthy of, of this healing. We, we have suffered. There, if, you're, there's no, if you're really God, you have no reason not to heal us. We are worthy of your affection. We are worthy of this. They don't act like that at all. What they act like is that they are those who come for mercy. And they realize that they are unworthy. And what we see in the apostles in this situation and at this time that they have grown puffed up. They have traveled with Jesus. They see the crowd loving Jesus. They see the miracles Christ performed. They had publicly watched all these things, seen all these things. And what are they doing? They're strutting around like I don't know what. Their mommy's trying to get some special favors for them. And the others are jealous because those people are, are vying for attention. And it's just a big mess. And then there are these two beggars. There are these two beggars that Jesus heals. And what does Jesus do with the beggars? He commends them for their faith. He's not commending his disciples now. He's saying, you guys are just really screwed up. He's not commending the crowd. He is commending the beggars for their faith, for their humility. And this is the way we are to live. We're to live in humility before Christ. We're to live in humility and not in a prideful demanding of these things and what it is that we Well, let me, I don't have a point, I don't have a, a lot of space there under 2B, but I want to give a little bit of extra application here for your praying and for my praying. But, and I didn't put this in the outline, but I want to mention it right here. And don't worry, we're not going to go all day here. But I want to, I think it's important because this is a question that you might be asking. And I know it's a question I ask. The cries go up from these beggars for physical healing, right? The cries go up. And so you and I know in our own praying that there are times when we pray and yet we don't seem to get an answer. These beggars, they cried out and they got immediate help. So the question you might ask as you're reading your Bible alone in your home or as a family or as you listen to this text, you might say, okay, Lord, I've cried out to you. I've cried out to you on numerous occasions about certain things and you haven't answered me. You haven't given the healing in my life in this area or that area. So there are times when there are physical healing. There's physical healing we're concerned about. Times for deliverance from besetting sins. All of us in this room have particular sins with which we do battle. For healing of relationships and families. Maybe there's a relationship. Our relationship with our children. A relationship with our parents or something like that. That we want to see healing and we pray about it. Week after week, month after month, year after year, it seems. And there seems to be no change. All right. 
I want to give us some counsel about this. So I don't, you ain't got room there. You're going to turn your paper over. You're going to write in this down. But anyway, I want to give you five things that can help us in this. The first one is this. We must not quit asking for mercy. We are those who are live. We live upon mercy. The Lord's Prayer that we read, it's a prayer about mercy. We live upon mercy. For Him to provide daily bread. For Him to provide help in temptation. For Him to uh, forgive us of our sins. We must not quit asking for mercy. We are to live upon Christ, putting our confidence in Him and not in ourselves. Not money, not others, but in Christ. Secondly, we must realize that this is not the first time these men prayed. Okay, they're beggars every day, and, and okay, all of a sudden, they decided one day, Jesus is coming by, we'll ask him for help. That's probably not what happened at all. These guys, they knew, that, they knew God. They knew uh, that God worked miracles. They knew about the son of David. They had some theology. They had some understanding. They had time in the darkness of what they saw to meditate upon God and who God was and all that. So we don't know how many years they themselves had been praying, but we know they had probably been praying over a long time just like we do. We just haven't gotten the answer yet. They got their answer that day. Thirdly, all of us who come to Christ receive in one way or another. We still receive in one way or another when we pray. We don't always get what we pray for. Remember Paul, he prayed for God to remove his thorn in the flesh. What did Paul get? Paul got contentment. God said to Paul, hey, you got a problem with pride, Paul. I ain't removing this thorn. you got a problem with pride. You need this thorn to, get you, to keep you calmed down. I'm doing a little bit of paraphrasing, but that's really what God... The same way with you and me. We pray. We pray about things, and God doesn't give us exactly what we want or give us what we want. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean he's asleep? Does that mean he doesn't know any better? Does that mean that he has somehow not been introduced to the wisdom that we know or something like that? Does that mean that he doesn't care about the intensity of our hearts and our brokenness? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that His wisdom is greater than our wisdom. I can't explain. I mean, I, I, the, we read Psalm 46. That for, Psalm 46 talks about God ordering the world and everything that's going on. You and I look at the world today and we think nobody has got any order to anything. But God is ordering everything. And the same thing for our prayers. We will receive from Him. Maybe we'll receive patience. Maybe we'll receive perseverance. Or like Paul, we'll receive grace to deal with our pride or something else. I don't know. The fourth thing I would say is to seek mercy and understanding. If the Lord isn't pleased to give you what that for which you cry to Him, then cry to Him for mercy to ha that He would help, have you to know what it is you need to know. If you don't, if, if, if you don't get what you are crying out for, and say, Lord, what is it I do need to know? Now, someone says, "Well, I really don't. I don't want that. I I don't want. I don't want what I want. What I want, and I don't want anything else." Well, then you're trying to be God. Simple as that. We can't be God. 
We have to be humbled, like Job had to be humbled. Jonah had to be humbled. And finally, remember that as with these men, our prayers may have to be persistent. Our prayers may have to be persistent. They persisted in their praying, and we can too. And uh, Jesus tells us we ought to pray. Uh, we ought to pray in persistence and looking unto Him. All right. The th- um, the next thing is uh, by comparison is that they had a more mature faith than most. Christ didn't commend the apostles, as I mentioned earlier, but He did commend the blind men. For their faith. These were men who others were trying to shut up to get rid of. They were the very ones that Christ used to teach everyone here and to teach us. Jesus said to them in Mark, Go your way, your faith has made you well. What is the character of their faith? The first point of character of their faith is that it was a faith that would not let God rest, it wouldn't let God rest. You say, well, I don't have power over God. Well, there's a sense in which the Bible tells us that we should not let God rest. We should pursue Him in our prayers. Isaiah says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give Him no rest until He establishes and make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. You remember about the lady who came to the judge and she was going to plead and plead and plead and plead. Well, God is not that unrighteous judge, but Jesus is using that illustration just to say that we should be persistent in our prayers. Not that we control God or anything like that, but that we should continue to call upon Him in no uncertain terms and not keep quiet, but order our prayers, order our arguments, Read the Psalms. You want help in praying? Read the Psalms. What do you have in the Psalms? You have the psalmist ordering your arguments. You remember you did this, Lord. You remember this is who you are, Lord. You remember uh, this is what you promised, Lord. There's nothing wrong. You and I can pray the same way. Secondly, it was a faith that submitted to God's will. They come asking for mercy. And however the Lord was pleased to show mercy... They accepted His will. It was a faith that submitted to God's will. Thirdly, it was a faith that had the Lord as its object. They come to the Lord for help. God is their salvation. God is their salvation. Years earlier, in the time of Joshua, there was a lady, a prostitute, living in the city of Jericho. The spies that Joshua sent out came to her And what did she say to those guys? She says, hey, I recognize God's with you all. Salvation is with you all. God has done this to his enemies. I want to be on your side. Rahab was that prostitute. She figures into the line of Christ being a physical descendant of Rahab, among others. What did she know? She knew that God was the Savior, was the salvation What is the confession that Bartimaeus makes? He's a blind beggar. He and his buddy are blind beggars. But what do they know? They know that Christ is their salvation. They know to cry out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
And finally, it was a faith that didn't give up. They were persistent in their cries, persevering over time. They continued to believe upon the Lord. Jesus says in Luke 18, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And that's how you and I are to live as well. We are to be persistent in our praying about our needs and those things that concern us. All right, let me just close with a picture here of Jesus. We've given here the fact that we are to call upon the Lord for mercy and all these things. But uh, I like to look at the whole picture of the context of where this happened and when this happened and other things. And you know, God gave leaders in the history of His people and these leaders were revered by His people. And I just want to show you how Jesus is, very quickly, how Jesus is to be exalted above all these other people. And Christ, the third point is then that Christ is the best leader of God's people. And the first point is He is better than Joshua outside of Jericho. Boy, the story of Joshua is a great story to read, isn't it? It's exciting. It's a great story to read. And people knew this in their history. But now here is Jesus. He's a greater conqueror, a greater conqueror, a greater captain, a greater leader than Joshua. And now what the, the second one is that Christ is better than Moses, preparing for the Passover. If you look at the next paragraph, it's talking about his triumphal entry in chapter 21. What's the triumph? What, what's going on here? Christ is going in Jerusalem. He's the Savior. They're, he's going to take the Passover and institute the Lord's Supper. What is it? They, the people in the Old Testament, they were delivered, right? Who's the great deliverer of God's people? Moses. Who is the deliverer of God's people? Jesus Christ. And now... The, what, what we see here is that Christ is exalted as the greater deliverer. He's the one that delivers you and me. You know, we have leaders of families, mom and dad, fathers. We have leaders in the church, officers. We have leaders of country. We have leaders in the military. We have leaders in school. We have leaders in business. We have leaders in this and leaders in that. The greatest leader that you and I have for our souls is Jesus Christ. And then finally, he is better David. He is a better David, reigning as Savior and King. Man, the, how much the Israelites, how much the Jews loved David as a king. And what do we have in the Old Testament? We have all these prophecies that the son of David would arise and the king would come. And here he is. These two beggars recognized him. And we are to recognize him too and to love him as our king and as our Savior. He is the best one to rule us. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love you today and we thank you for your salvation. And we thank you, Christ, that you are, um, you are the Savior. And we thank you that you receive us when we come to you, not only the first time for our salvation when your Spirit draws us, but repeatedly throughout our lives. Lord, help us to be coming to you every day and throughout the day and help us to persist even when our faith grows weak and when we are tired and when we toil hard in prayer and when our hearts are broken and grieved help us to still uh, be content under your will and your lordship and your wisdom and and we love you we give you praise 
We, give, we pray that you would be exalted in us, in this church, in our lives individually, and uh, in our world, in your world. We pray for your exaltation. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.